Welcome back, Curious Pet Parents. This week on the show, Dr. Holly Brown from Antec Diagnostics returns to discuss lab testing for pets. She'll be explaining the ins and outs of some of the most commonly performed lab tests in the veterinary hospital. Get ready for a very informative show today on the Family Pet Podcast. Welcome into the Family Pet Podcast, the podcast for curious pet parents, where we believe the more you know about pet health care, the better pet parent you can be. I'm your host, Michael Shirley, joined by Stephen, my co-host, and our guest has returned from last week. We're continuing our discussion yeah, about labs. She didn't come back. Yeah, she come back. She, she, she just never left us. We yeah. just we, pushed we, stop for a we're moment. We're continuing our discussion about lab work with Dr. Holly Brown from Antech Diagnostics. Uh, Dr. Brown, thanks for staying with us to dive a little bit deeper into lab testing. Thank you for having me. Last last episode, we talked a little bit about the basics. Um, we identified some topics. We talked a little bit about what you do with the samples as you get them prepared, why you would get them done, when you should start testing your pets. But I had some more specific questions that I jotted down and we ran out of time. And I want to go to the part where you were talking about the CBC test. You mentioned that stands for complete blood count and that we're looking for, re- we're analyzing the red blood cells, the white blood cells, and the platelets that are in the blood. And you said something that I, I jotted down and I want to go back and refresh your memory on what you said. You said that the CBC, when it comes to the red blood cell counts, and it maybe it applies to all of it, that it was sensitive, but not specific. And that made me kind of tweak my head a little bit. What did you mean by that blood test was sensitive, but not specific? Great. So when we talk about a a test being really sensitive, it means it's really good at detecting an abnormality, right? It's a really good screening test, right, for a change. Now, it does have the possibility of, or mm, I can probably rephrase this better, but it's, it's a good screening test for an abnormality, but it doesn't always tell you exactly what is going on. Okay. Right. And so, it, so it's sensitive in that it will pick up on a change, right? But it's not always specific as to what the underlying disease process is. Does that make sense? What the origin of it is. Mm-hmm. So when the CBC and looking at all the red blood cells, all the white blood cells, all the platelets, if there's abnormalities in there, the CBC will catch it. Right. And so it's really good because we've cast a sort of wide net right? Looking at all these different blood cells, right? But it doesn't always tell us what the actual problem is that's causing it. We need to then delve deeper. So when we need to increase our specificity for that disease process, we're going to do further blood tests, right? Or sometimes we'll go to imaging. If we have an indication that there's blood loss, right? We might do a fecal test. Are we losing blood through the GI tract? right? Because of parasites. If there's blood loss, we might want to do an abdominal ultrasound and make sure the abdominal organs are okay, right? We want to check the urine and make sure there's not blood loss there. What, what is an example of an abnormality? Is it a, is it something's off in the balance of the ratio of white to red to platelets or is it something else? Yeah, that's great. I both actually. So there is just a number for each of the things that it's measuring or calculating, right? Individually, something could be high or low outside of a reference interval or abnormal for your particular pet, 
right? Because you've had blood work before and you know that normally this value is in this range, but it's, you know, trending high or trending low. Um, but also there are patterns in particular that we look at within the different white blood cells. So we talk about the white blood cells as one category, right? But there's five common ones we see in circulation. Oh. And there are patterns that we can see. And in particular, one another thing that is quite sensitive, but not specific, meaning it's a good indicator. It was a, it caught that something's going on, but you don't know what, is when two of our specific white blood cells, lymphocytes and eosinophils, when those specifically are low or lower, then the other guys, when they normally are, that tells us that's actually a stress response of the pet and not a stress response like they're upset or the car ride was stressful. They've had a rough day. Right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Bad hair. <laughs> they're having day. a deal with their brother. I need a mental yeah. break. <laughs> you understand. But actually, like the body's you know, withstanding some big stressor, some disease process that they're going through. And actually, because of a hormone they release in response to that stress of illness, it actually decreases the circulating numbers of those particular white blood cells. So there are there are nuances in the patterns as well as the individual numbers that we look at. It's actually quite complex. I just want to take a moment to thank all of our veterinary professionals, uh, particularly our licensed technicians and our doctors, our veterinarians, that can get these reports and quickly just like look oh, at them and I, be like, "We've got this issue." And I'm like, "Well, how? What?" Yeah, <laughs> I I get because. So I, I help with our CSRs, and so we get the reports back and, the email, and sometimes right. our, our, we'll, well, the client will get something, or, and, and all we see is the number is in red, which means it's out of normal range. And I'm like, I, I have no idea what this ALK or this PHO, I mean, I, I don't know what any of it You're ahead of me because <laughs> I don't even well, know. Well, my dog Gracie went through, okay. she went through seven rounds of testing. Um, and so, but you can, you just forward that onto the medical team. Yeah. And we were just, and I would just learn to look at these numbers cause we were trying to get them down into the proper range, but I didn't know what ALK meant or the ALT. Um, yeah. but Dr. Nunnery knew exactly. And, and she explained it. I've long since. It's just amazing to me that what all is in their brains, like they're hematologists, they're Parasitologists, they're all these things. And, they just and know one. so. Yeah, they just know, they just so, know much. so much. So, so you're and and at the reference lab, like when when these um, results come back, you all print off uh, indications or check this. More testing is needed. So when something is out of range or abnormality, you mentioned a little bit. But can we go back to it? And what's next? So yeah. the veterinarian is going to request or suggest what. Right. And so it really all depends on the nuances, right, of that lab work and together with the clinical signs, right, that the owner's reporting that the patient's experiencing, right? And so, again, I think it depends on, um, it can be anything from imaging, you know, we never know in a sick patient, right? Are you going to get, you don't, it's impossible to pick which diagnostic test will get you more information, right? right? You know, if they're vomiting, is it because there's a metabolic problem that you detect in a chemistry panel, right? Or is it because they, or they have an infection in their kidneys that you'd see in the urine or on the CBC because it's an infection, or if it's cancer, or if it's that they ate a foreign body, you know, they chewed some other toy, right? And like, and that you're going to look at the imaging, right? So we never know which is going to give us more information. And unfortunately, 
you know, because of budget, sometimes we have to start with one, yeah, right? But we see some changes and often have to go to the other modality, right, to try and fill in some of those, some of those it, blanks. It seems like when a pet comes in for something like that, the doctors are always like, we need to run blood work. I, I mean, I think that we get our best overall picture, right, through the lab work. It's we, just that we yeah. talked about very sensitive detection of changes, right? We are mm-hmm. very likely to see some abnormality on there, but it doesn't always finish the picture, Right. It then tells us, focus your imaging on the spleen or focus your imaging right. on the liver test gotcha. that we're going to have yep. to do. So the blood work is, or these, these diagnostics, the blood work is a component that works in conjunction with, okay, the blood work says I need to now hone in and Looking maybe do this. ultrasound or do x-ray. And it's all piece, puzzle pieces so that the doctor can get the big picture. That's exactly it. And then sometimes, especially with lab work, because it does, it changes by the hour, right? Right. That it's often in repeating that lab work Mm -hmm. that we get a lot more feedback on our initial thought process, right? And how the patient's doing. With some of our, I think about thyroid pets that are on thyroid medication, they're always coming back in for more blood work to see if it's working, if we need to adjust the dosage. The only way to do that is to test the blood. That is exactly right. And I think that often, and again, I'll I'll default to that quote from Dr. Dennis DiNicola, who's a clinical pathologist, is that animals can't hide their objective data, right? And so sometimes we'll even see, you know, the thyroid testing is a nice protracted course, like a prolonged course, right? You're going to be on it for life and we're going to try and get this right. And you might, you can't tell at home, they seem a little more lethargic or they're staying inside more. Is it is it because they're hypothyroid or is it winter? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you got to get that objective data I to figure I, that out. I just had um, this flash in my head of like Mari Povich show, like the pet's telling you, I'm fine. And like the results say that is a lie. <laughs> That's how my doctor <laughs> tells me sometimes like, the when I'm like, the truth is in the yeah, data. The truth, yeah, right? You can't I hide really... your A1C, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> we know you've been sneaking the brownies in. I'm like, oh, I'm busted. So, <laughs> All right. So we talked about the, the complete blood uh, count CBC yes. complete but blood count but you you there was like a, a slash and the second half of that test and I, I know it from like watching ER hey give me a CBC blood count uh, yeah. CBC the blood chem. count yeah, yeah I can't even remember it so what is the chemistry <laughs> what is the chem part yeah so right so we talked about with the CBC we're looking at all the different blood cells right that are in circulation right and then on the chemistry we're looking at all of the bio all the um organ function tests, right? That basically looks at all the chemistry of the blood and all how the organs are functioning. And so it's the very, very different tests, right? All from the blood, right? But the chemistry test tells us of, and if you've ever seen a report, you know, again, 18 different variables maybe that are on there and some will help us focus in on if the liver is sick, right? Some will focus on the kidneys, some will focus on the pancreas, some focus on the adrenal glands, some focus on the GI tract. And they put it all together because they, they obviously interplay with each other a lot, right? One organ may make something, but then it might get metabolized by another organ. It might get excreted by another organ, right? So you have to look at all those different nuances together, right, to figure it out. Sometimes we'll use the CBC to tell us there's inflammation. And then we use the chemistry to say which organs affected, mm-hmm. right? That then may lead to the imaging, you know, to, to try and figure out how it's affected or if it's something we can address surgically, right, or medically. So they, they do all play to each other. And are so, those are those usually separate? Like, can you run a CBC without the chem, or do you usually do them together? 
No, they, they can be run separately, but usually when we're trying to get, we're trying to figure out a problem or get an assessment of health, it's ideal to do the CBC with the chemistry and the urinalysis. Really, okay. in truth, putting those three together helps us most appropriately interpret any changes in one or the other two. That's right. That's how Dr. we interpret it best. Yep. Dr. Shirley says it's the internal exam for the pet. It is. So, <laughs> and then if one together. of those is, uh, and then if you hone in to one organ system or blood cell type, et cetera, it may be that you don't need to repeat the others. Now that you know you've appropriately interpreted it, made the appropriate diagnosis, now as we treat the thyroid, we treat the urinary tract infection, we treat the kidneys, we may just repeat those values, that one test, the chemistry of the urine, et cetera, that was the abnormality to, to trend a response. I, I would be remiss if I did not talk about oh, you this got one next more. thing. Yeah, you got one more. We've blood. talked a lot about blood and looking at the internal exam of the pet and how the pet's organs are functioning together and, and, and all of that. But there is one other thing that I know happens with blood testing that is about foreign invaders, about particularly heartworms. And Listeners to the Family Pet Podcast know that I'm very passionate about making sure that all pets, cats and dogs, are on heartworm prevention because it is extremely year-round year round in our area. Now, some people may disagree with me, but I think in the United States at this point, all pets should be on year-round heart per- heartworm prevention. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what a heartworm test, is that part of the CBC and Kim or is that separate? And what is it that you're looking for there? Because it's very deadly and purely preventable. Yes, it's 100%, which means that we need to focus so much of our education on that, right? Our, right. our pet, pet parent education. So with heartworm testing, when we generally speak of it in the practice setting, right? And they come in for an annual exam. We say we want to screen for heartworms. It's different in dogs than it is in cats. It's a blood test right? For both of them. It's not part of the CBC, the chemistry or the urinalysis, right? It's a separate test. And it's often paired with other vector-borne diseases, meaning insect transmitted diseases, right? So with our tick-borne diseases, we often put that together. You know, we, as you've probably talked about in other episodes, you know, heartworm is transmitted by mosquitoes, right? A different vector. And so we may see indications in our other lab work that organs got affected or that we've been seeing an allergy response to a parasite. But when we're specifically looking for heartworms on a dog in the blood test, what is this is a pretty neat one. So we talked last time about antigens, looking at proteins, right? And then we look at the body's response to it. For dogs, when we're looking for heartworm testing, we look for an antigen, right? That's released from a pregnant female heartworm. Isn't that crazy? So yep. if you find very, this very, antigen, very specific, yeah. yes, if you find this protein in your dog's blood, you know that not only does it have heartworms, but it says more than one heartworm. It has to have at least two because it has to have at least a male and a female to get a pregnant female, right? And then that that she's mature enough, right, to release this protein that's only seen, right, in these pregnant female worms. And so you know you have that advanced, right, uh, of an infection. In cats, we screen a little differently because some cats have significant disease with only one heartworm. And so we don't know if that's going to be male or female. And if it's only one, it's not going to be pregnant, even if it was a female, right? So for cats, what we look for is we look at the body's response to seeing anything of the heartworm, meaning the antibody response. So this is actually looking at the, the cat's response to it rather than looking at something coming from the heartworm itself. We talked about that last episode about diff- um, that you're testing sometimes based on the invader and sometimes based on the patient's response. So, yeah. Um, 
But it's I, I I do I'm glad that we talked about that because I want people to understand why we recommend like if you switch heartworm prevention why we have to test again and making sure that we you have coverage we don't start testing until certain ages and there's a lot to it and it it goes back to that it's very specific as to what we're looking for in the bloodstream um, yes but what yeah. you what the biggest takeaway is that. You need to have your pet on heartworm prevention and test annually to make sure that everything's working. Because it is like you heard, like you heard uh, Dr. Brown say, with cats, just one heartworm can cause significant damage to their heart. And Dr. Nunnery was um, one of our doctors was just telling us she went to a class down at VMX and learned that by even before the heart and, and a dog before the heartworm is mature enough to breed it can already cause uh, significant damage to the heart. So this is not, imagine having a living organism inside your heart. Like eating. Your heart's pretty important. Eating away. Well, it's sucking the blood, but it clogs up all the right. valves and it just, just uh, gums no. everything up. It looks like spaghetti in your heart and just don't do it. Do and like we were saying with the diagnostics, beget more diagnostics, right? Is because we, we talk about these very, sensitive screening tests that we run, right? That are, at, that are very good at capturing something, but just because you know you have the infection, right? We need more information on how the dog's dealing with it or the cat's dealing with it, right? So if we find out that they are positive for harm antigen or antibody, then we often do other tests, right? Before we treat that dog, right? We mm -hmm. want to know a couple things. Does it have the circulating form, the little microfilaria in the blood itself? So that's another test we might look at. Then you want to image the heart and the lungs, right? You're going to take radiographs yep. to see, are they, have they been deleteriously affected? You want to do that chemistry panel on the blood to make sure it can handle the drugs you're going to give, right. right? That kill the heartworms, right? You're going to look for inflammation, platelets, all of those things, right? So testing begets testing, not because we're trying to rack up the bill, right? But because we're trying to get the right diagnosis and keep them safest during treatment. Yeah, we don't want the, we don't want the cure to be, you know, detrimental. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, what a what an episode these have been great two great episodes and i really appreciate your time with us and educating our curious pet parents about lab work before we let you go have is there anything that you want to share with our listeners that maybe Stephen and i haven't asked you mm, i think um well yes i I think that in our advancements around diagnostics, right? So I'm obviously really passionate about running blood work, right? So I'm a clinical pathologist is my specialty training, right? So that's my specialty is looking at this lab work. And I think we're doing a better job than ever at communicating in the, not everywhere from the CSRs at the front desk, right? Through our technicians and our assistants in the rooms, right? And through our doctors and their communications on really the value of such testing, right? So I think in these two episodes, we've, we've talked about all of this information we're getting from our pet from these blood tests that we're doing, right? Or blood and urine tests. And maybe to understand from the, on the medical side of things, on the practice side of things, the importance of reviewing these results with these owners so that they understand the value in normal results, Mm -hmm. Right. And showing them reference intervals and being able to show them where their patient's data lies, as you said, in looking at your um, Stephen, you're talking about your dog had repeated tests, right? Looking at the liver values. Right. And seeing and you get we get our pet owners really engaged to say, I see where the abnormality is. You've told me what the concern is. I'm going to get I'm being a bit more compliant 
with my treatment recommendations because I'm also targeted to make those numbers normalized, right? And I'm going to show up at my rechecks because again, I see the value in this testing. And when we're going to go over these results again, right? So I think we're finding really great communication um, with our pet parents around the value in these diagnostics. And, and I think taking the time to show them the results, right? And go over them will help to continue that conversation. Keeping and also up. really pump them up for being proactive oh my in goodness. their pets. Like that, what a, like, Doing that for your pet, getting your it, doing the diagnostics yeah. is a that's a good pet parent. Yep, that's you, a yeah. that's a loving that is a dedicated pet parent, and um, they're the hero that their pet thinks they are. That's right. That's there right. It is. Well, well, Doctor Brown. Before we let you go, it's um, we we've, we've come to that time in our show where we ask you to share a fun fact with our listeners. This is something that's going to help them win trivia night or at least impress their friends and family at dinner. So do you have another fun fact for our curious pet parents at home? More white blood. I do. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So this one will be about the red blood cells. So there is something that we can see that's very detrimental in our dogs and cats. And yeah, I'll just stick with dogs and cats. If they ingest pennies, Okay, so and it's very specific pennies. Did you want to say something, Stephen? No, he (laughs) knows. Excited? No, you're good. (laughs) (laughs) So and it's so there's zinc inside a very high zinc content, like ninety seven percent, I think, something like that percent zinc inside American pennies minted after nineteen eighty two. So they're coated in copper, but after nineteen eighty two, they filled the inside with zinc, and when our pets ingest them the stomach acids break down that copper coating, which is inert. That wasn't causing a problem. But when the zinc gets into the bloodstream, it can cause a change in our red blood cells that creates, that it makes them rupture, right? Mm. And then they become very anemic and very sick very quickly. And we have to get those pennies out of them. So go so roll your my, pennies, people. Don't hoard the yeah. pennies. Take them to the bank <laughs> no. and roll Don't them. feed your dog <laughs> pennies. Don't let them eat pennies. It's, it's funny because of all the coins, all the rest of them are fairly inert, right? But that's the one. It's American you, pennies minted after 1982. Do you think, is that, is it just affect dogs and cats? Like what about the koi fish in the ponds where people are throwing pennies oh. in? Does it hurt this? Yeah. But I don't think the acid, because you <laughs> got to break down the coating. That's all another episode. That's yeah. exactly oh, gotcha. right, Stephen. Good job, Stephen. <laughs> Look at you go. It's okay. You didn't kill the koi fish. (laughs) Well, you still shouldn't throw pennies in there, so it's not good for them. Oh, man. Well, Dr. Brown, thank you so much for joining us to talk to our curious pet parents about the value of testing. I I wrote that down, the value of testing. it. We have just uncovered between in these two episodes why people should be doing this for their pets. We, um, If you want to be a great pet parent, go ahead, talk to your vet, and work out a plan on what is – um, your annual plan for blood work for your pet. Um, gosh, just just do it. There's so much information. Starting even when they're a puppy and kitten. Yeah, get that baseline established um, so that you can be ahead of the game and be able to respond earlier to any issues that the blood work is re- is um, sh- shedding, showing, revealing to you and your doctor. So, so, Dr. Brown, thank you so much for joining us. For all of you curious pet parents out there, we hope that you'll Continue to listen uh, and share this episode. With Give us your a rating. Thumbs oh, yeah. up. Especially that- on the old YouTube now that we're there. Right. You know, leave us a comment. Let us know you're watching. And uh, but we're going to continue doing it anyway. So until next time, stay curious. 
Family Pet Podcast is a podcast for curious pet parents where we believe the more you know about pet health care, the better pet parent you can be. The Family Pet Podcast is a production of Family Pet Health PLLC and is recorded in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. The statements made as a part of this show should not be taken as an establishment of any form of a veterinary client-patient relationship. All comments are for entertainment and educational purposes only, and you should reach out to your local veterinary partner before taking any action on anything that you've heard here today. We hope that you will share this podcast with a friend, and it would mean so much to us if you would take a moment to leave a review and follow wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Show notes, links, and videos to accompany today's show can be found at thefamilypetpodcast.com.